Church of Christ presents In the Wilderness Between Filled and Famished, the sermon by the Reverend Gene Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, March 1st, 2020. Today's story, told this year from the Gospel of Matthew, is the one that opens Lent every year. It's a story that could easily encourage us to get bogged down in the kind of theological debate that is either endlessly fascinating or not really relevant to how I live my life. The kind of debate that is ultimately unwinnable. These conversations that Jesus was having out there in the wilderness, if someone had been hiding behind the nearest boulder, would they have been able to see and hear the other speaker, this tempter, devil, Satan figure? Or was that really just a figment of Jesus's imagination? a product of his famished mind and body. Does it matter which way we read it? And about that famished body, did Jesus really fast for 40 days and 40 nights? Is that even humanly possible? And if it isn't humanly possible, then is the whole story just a metaphor for the challenges of being human? Or is this some kind of proof that Jesus was not merely human. Now, to me, these questions are, in fact, deeply fascinating most of the time. But they are not, I think, the point of the story. The lectionary designers offer it to our imaginations at the beginning of every Lent to help us open our hearts. Whether you believe Jesus was a spirit-inspired good teacher and prophet, or a unique revelation of God's love, or the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, or some combination of all three of those, depending on the time of day and the day of week. What this story tells us is that the real, living, breathing Jesus saw and encountered forces working for evil in the world. Forces that wanted to manipulate his famished state and try to fill him with false paths to a life that is real life. Power and prestige and self-sufficiency. The self-sufficiency to create food for himself with no labor. The power to command God's angels. The prestige of ruling over kingdoms. The person who bid the highest on choosing a sermon topic this year at the Christmas Bazaar asked me to preach on the necessity of evil. I'm not going to quite get there today. I'm not sure I have my head around that yet. You'll hear back from me. But I will say that this story reminds us of the necessity of seeing the evil that is here and calling it by its name, of seeing the ways that evil disguises itself and presents itself to us as innocuous, even beneficial, Who doesn't want power and prestige and self-sufficiency? They are practically the hallmarks of success in our culture. But power without compassion leads to tyranny. Prestige without humility leads to contempt for others. 
And self-sufficiency without a recognition of our interconnectedness leads to exploitation of people whose labor we pretend we are not relying on. The very real person, Jesus of Nazareth, knew that evil was real in the world because he met it. He had gone down to the River Jordan with the crowds to be baptized. And when he came up from the water, a voice from above announced, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And the spirit came down like a dove and then filled up with spirit and blessing the same spirit drove him into the wilderness, and there he fasted. Forty days and forty nights he fasted, and at the end he was utterly depleted. He was beyond hunger. He was famished. All he had left was scripture, the word of God. All he had is what he knew by heart. That and the promise given to him in his baptism that he was somebody. He was God's beloved, no matter what. All Jesus had was who he was. This is the thing we humans forget most quickly when we are famished. We forget who we are. And the tempter knows how vulnerable that makes us. His hers, its timing is perfect. We hear our own version of that taunt. If you are the son of God, turn the stone into bread. If you are so beloved, prove it. Do something. Throw yourself down. Show me a miracle. Use your power. If you are God's beloved, do something. Because I won't believe you are who you are until you prove it to me. How many times do we hear words like that in our own lives, whether from the culture coming in or from somewhere deep inside where they have been implanted in us? If you're a tough guy, prove it. Man up. If you're a real woman, look like one. If you're a good mother, you don't have any needs apart from your family. If you're so smart, why haven't you published? Go on. If you really are who you say you are, prove it. See how easy it is to get into that voice? It's almost like I had practice. <laughs> the waters of our baptism are for most of us so far in the past. And the way back from that river or font or lake where we were baptized leads straight through our own wildernesses. And we go round and around and around until we too are famished. We start to wonder, will I survive it? Is God really in some kind of control? Does God love me? Am I who I thought I was? Our biggest temptation is to forget that we have been to the Jordan when we are in the wilderness. The biggest temptation is to let go of what we know by heart when we are famished. With the tempter's help, that unconditional promise, you are my beloved, gets replaced with a conditional sentence. If you want to be my beloved, earn it. Show you deserve it. 
This is the sin that haunts us, to let the tempter convince us that love is conditional, not unconditional. To let the tempter convince us that beloved is something you prove, not something you are. And the agony of that is that when we listen to that voice of the tempter, we trap ourselves in the wilderness, trying to fill ourselves with things that do not satisfy. Listening to the whisper that power, prestige, and self-sufficiency can be ours if we are willing to make some compromises, and that they will make us worthy. And then we have to live with the deal we have struck, to trade the promise that we are beloved for the appearance of power, to keep earning our own belovedness as the price of determining who else gets to be called beloved. It all comes back to this story, the great temptation when we are famished and empty, to try to prove to ourselves and others what deep in our souls we already know. We are beloved. This power, prestige, and self-sufficiency that the tempter offers not only doesn't earn us worthiness, it makes us unable to hear the spirit. The late Irish poet and philosopher John O'Donohue put it this way. When you take the time to draw on your listening imagination, you will begin to hear this gentle voice at the heart of your life. It is deeper and surer than all the other voices of disappointment, unease, self-criticism, and bleakness. All holiness is about learning to hear the voice of your own soul. It is always there, and the more deeply you learn to listen, the greater surprises and discoveries that will unfold. To enter into the gentleness of your own soul changes the tone and quality of your life. Your life is no longer consumed by hunger for the next event, experience, or achievement. You learn to come down from the treadmill and walk on the earth. You gain a new respect for yourself and others, and you learn to see how wonderfully precious this one life is. You begin to see through the enchanting veils of illusion that you had taken for reality. You no longer squander yourself on things and situations that deplete your essence. You know now that your true source is not outside you. Your soul is your true source, and a new energy and passion awakens in you. For me, John O'Donohue has described the path of Jesus. Jesus showed us the way of living attentive to his own soul, attentive to the connection that every human has the capacity to have deep within us, in our souls, the connection to the Spirit of God. It takes practice, but the practice can happen everywhere and in every situation when we pause. It's easy to avoid the voice of our own soul, and it's easy to avoid listening for the Spirit speaking to us. We get frightened by the world, <clears throat> And just now, the world is too much with us. 
with wars and rumors of wars and fear about the government and fear about disease. The world is too much with us. But giving in to fear leaves us very little room for love, and it leaves us little room to listen. A spiritual teacher who I follow on social media, a man who is both an Episcopal bishop and a Choctaw elder, writes a daily reflection, and he posts it online. He writes with the wisdom of both of his traditions woven together. He writes with the authority of an elder and the humili humility of someone who once held high position and has now retired and knows how hard it was to do it well. Last week he wrote, like a whisper in the night, the words repeated themselves over and over until they carried me out of sleep to sit in the silence before dawn, pondering the meaning of what I had heard. Nanta Ishmichi. The whispers were trying to tell me something by repeating a question over and over, gently but insistently. They spoke in the way of my ancestors but I think their question was for us all. A signal to pause and reflect. A chance to consider the impact of our choices. So I share what the ancestors asked me. Three simple words, but words full of power and possibility. Nanta Ishmichi, what are you doing? Here is the good news of the gospel. There is real evil in the world. It's sly and slippery and seductive. Here is the good news of the gospel. Jesus heard the voice of that evil and showed us the way to listen instead to the voice of our own soul, to the voice of God speaking to us in our own souls, asking, what are you doing, and promising Take heart, I am with you. Amen. Listen, listen.